everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Hot Ghoul Summer. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, if you were looking at the title of this episode, you might be thinking, well, you know, that's a, a little odd. Not really sure what there is to talk about regarding jelly, but I'd like to do a little bit of upfront explaining so you can understand why this episode is so exciting for me and hopefully for you too. So, as you all know by now, I write horror novels. Not a secret. But part of being a novelist is, as you would probably guess, writing. Even if you've just finished a book, even if you're on submission to publishers, even if you're about to go on a book tour, you're always either writing the next thing or thinking about the next thing. Which is how I ended up with a brand new idea for a book, even though I'm still working on editing my previous novel, which is called Much Too Vulgar. Now, while Much Too Vulgar is with my fabulous editor, I decided to scratch my novel writing itch by participating in something called Camp NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo stands for National Novel Writing Month, which happens every November. And NaNoWriMo, which we call it for short, is a, basically a challenge to anybody who wants to participate. It's not just for people who consider themselves authors or writers, and what they need to do is write 50,000 words in one month. That may seem daunting, and it is, but it is totally doable. I've done NaNo for several years now, and the event is so popular that they started doing camps during April and July with the same goal of writing 50,000 words. But you can set your goal to be whatever you want. So in the past, I've used it to finish a novel by writing 25,000 words. A couple times I have done the full 50,000. But for this month, because I had a lot of other things going on, I set my sights on 35,000 words as my goal for April's Camp NaNoWriMo. Okay, so I have ideas for books all the time. Sometimes it's just an image, sometimes it's a setting, sometimes it's a particularly juicy character. So be careful around me because I may just put you in a book if you're especially interesting. Uh, other times I see something on the internet that just sets my brain on fire. And this is what happened recently. So not too long ago, I saw an article in one of my favorite inspirational publications, Atlas Obscura, and I will link this article in the show notes. And it was all about two men from Britain who create absolutely unbelievable art, and it's made out of jelly. Jelly. That's right, jelly. I'm not talking about what you spread on toast. I'm talking about that jiggly, wiggly, quivering dessert that you probably haven't thought about since middle school. That alone was fascinating, but I was also intrigued because this design firm called Bompas and Parr conspicuously carries my former last name, Parr. There aren't that many of us Parrs, and I know my family comes from England, so I thought, hey, maybe there's some shared ancestry there. That's pretty cool. So all of this was coalescing in my brain as I was going about my day until, boom, it hit me. A story idea about something that, at first, Sounds like a bad B-horror movie. And that is a killer jelly mold that produces a different face each time. And then the unfortunate owner of that face then dies in a gruesome and bizarre way. Sounds fun, right? <laughs> well, from there, the novel basically started writing itself in my head. For several days in a row, I'd wake up at 3 in the morning with a scene in my mind. And it was so persistent, I'd start typing on my phone in the middle of the night just desperate to get everything down before I could go back to sleep. 
And sometimes novel ideas are like unexpected and possibly rude visitors. They just knock on your door over and over and over until you finally let them in and ask them to just tell you their story. So that's what happened to me. And I completed my nano goal of 35,000 words. Actually, I exceeded it. I almost did the full 50,000. And I'm currently in the process of finishing up the first draft of this manuscript. I'm calling the book, It Must Be Jelly. If you don't get the reference, there's that old song, It Must Be Jelly, because jam don't shake like that. Um, and I'm hoping that this could be my next published book after Much Too Vulgar, which is still first in the pipeline. Now, as I was writing this book, I was also starting this podcast. And the more I researched for the book, the more I thought, hey, why not just reach out to Bompus and Parr and see if they'd talk to me? It felt like a long shot, admittedly. They are world-renowned artists with laundry lists of accolades, and I'm an as-yet-unpublished author with a fledgling podcast. Despite all of that, I found their email, and I sent them a message. I really did not expect anything, but the next day I got a response from Sam Bompus himself, who was thrilled about the idea for my novel. And he also graciously agreed to be a guest on my podcast, which is how the interview you are about to hear came to be. Now, before we get to Sam, who is absolutely fascinating and delightful, let me give you just a little bit of background because Sam is far too modest to give it himself. So in 2007, Sam and his business partner, Harry Parr, started their eponymous firm, Bompus and Parr, with the idea of producing and selling jellies. Their work ascended to greater and greater heights, encompassing everything from consumer jellies to massive jiggling art installations to mind-bending culinary experiences. Today, they consider themselves architects of taste and have been dubbed London's sensory magicians by CNN. The duo are also both fellows for the Royal Society of Arts, and they continue to push the boundaries of sensory experience. So without further ado, I am beyond thrilled to introduce Sam Bompas, who, as I said, is a delightful interviewee and a true jelly genius. Well, hello, hello. I'm Sam Bompas of Bombs and Bar. I used to describe myself as a jellymonger, architectural foodsmith, culinary deviant. Um, now I guess I've just called myself an experienced designer, but that comes out of 16 years wrangling jellies. Yeah. Um, so Bombs and Bar it is a um, culinary and creative studio. What we'd like to do is give give you your own uh, Burroughs style naked lunch where you truly see what's on the end of your fork. Uh, uh, the total gastronomic, social, political, architectural, biological, cultural implications of what you might be eating. Um, the the joy, the jeopardy, the disgustingness, um, and all while giving you a delicious meal. Well, that sounds awesome. And I would love to know how you kind of got started with this work and why Jelly? Jelly was the sort of quivering, harsh taskmaster that <laughs> schooled us in all that you can do with food and drink. Um, myself and my business partner, Harry Parr, um, we're old, old friends. We were in an orchestra together when we were 13. We weren't very good at making music. Um, but, you know, when we were much older than that, in, in our early 20s, we wanted something engaging and inspiring to do on the weekends, and we thought we'd set up an artisanal jelly company. Why? Uh, 
somewhat buried in the mists of time. I think there are 15 different stories out there, but ultimately because we thought it'd be utterly delightful. Um, there's something quite British about it. There's a, you know, of all the foods, Britain hasn't historically had a great reputation as a culinary innovator. And yet actually today it has, you know, if you come to Britain, it's got amazing cuisines, um, but they're largely other people's. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that sort of interrelationship between different different ideas, different food ways that make it good. That said, jelly was something that Brits were historically good at. There are stories of in the 18th century French chefs sneaking across the channel um, to steal our recipes and use our molds. Um, anyway, um, so 16 years ago, we set up a fine jelly company and there have been challenges, there have been... Uh, jelly horror stories uh i mean jelly triumphs ever since um and it's taught us a lot about how do people relate with food how can you give people lasting memories related to to, to what they're eating i think that's great and i i love that you use jelly because here in the states when i think of jelly i think of jello which is kind of a, a hospital dessert or something you get in cafeterias <laughs> And so when I told people a little bit about my idea for a jelly mold in my story, everybody's like, jelly? Nobody eats jelly. So mm -hmm. I just love to see something so different and bringing back something that had a lot of historical significance that has now kind of fallen to the wayside. Well, e even with jello, when you look at the history of the jello company, it's fascinating. So um, jello, so successful as a mega brand, like the number of units of jello still eaten every single day is astonishing. It's absolutely remarkable. And it's been everything from um, a dish, which was, you know, historically a lot of these jellies because they're very hard to make, very high status, they're very luxurious, all the way to kids' party foods, to diet food, to because of the texture, it, a really good way just to get some some liquids into people who don't have a very good swallow. So, you know, it, it, you know, it can be a great, great boon and, and blessing um for people who are in recovery because it you know just makes it that the, there's some calories and liquids going in their body and i like that you know jelly has this sort of versatility it's it's and i think a lot of that comes too because you know in humanity there's great variety mm. jelly is so close to human flesh that is why it is Ooh. delightful delightful for us because you, because it's got made out of gelatin it's it, it, it just it, it starts off quivering in a sort of lustrous motion it, it, it dissolves in the mouth um so something something rather fleshy about it which i think is wonderful yeah i love that description because i was going to ask you about the creepier side of jelly i think that mm. plays really well into that um i was i was reading about your eat my face workshop um which i yep. found fascinating could you talk a little bit about that uh, so when it comes to eat my face, we're not literally asking people to eat their face. It was, it was, it was more of a romantic thing. The eat my face was uh, was a couple's workshop where you and someone you cared about very, very much could um, cast one another's face, uh, then make jelly molds of them, and then make them in jelly, and then decide which bit of their face you would like to eat first. Is it the nose? Do you want to scoop out an eyeball with a spoon? And so while being creepy, it was also romantic. But in romance, there is also a bit of the cream as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, reading about that is what really caught my eye and set off this chain reaction of the inspiration for my novel, where we have this jelly mold that produces these hyper-realistic faces, and then those owners kind of perish in creative and very gruesome ways. So yeah, that was that was fantastic. 
And I'm curious what you were trying to accomplish with a workshop like this. I mean, you mentioned the romantic side and the creepy side, but what else was behind that? I think one of the main drivers for us is, is to give people stories that, that they can tell, they can relate when they go back into work on Monday morning and people ask what they've done the weekend. And rather than drifting off and not paying attention, they're immediately hooked in. It sounds like you've done something wild. And creating faces of one of those partners to make out of jello is is borderline pretty horrendous and weird but also quite magnificent and, and romantic at the same time so in the same way that you, you see through some of the social media it's 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 started driving us or at least rewarding us for for presenting the sublime alluring erotic and disgusting all at once so images video content and sentiment and stories that you know, really have a very high valence have a very high arousal so you're feeling like these huge emotional tolerances this is our this jelly through this is our, our our way of provoking those things but making it your own story the prospect of your book as well to play with some of these codes to to stimulate these reactions in the reader um and then also to enchant the the the, the shopping aisle next time you go to the uh, the supermarket or the convenience store uh, will you look at some of those jellos again knowing knowing what they could have in store for you i know i definitely have i've been buying gelatin and practicing with jelly and i'm curious how people can actually get into making jelly themselves because as you mentioned it was in the past really difficult now we have things like gelatin powder and instant jello so it's a bit easier but if somebody wanted to get into this what would you say is the easiest way to start if they wanted to make their own jelly well, sometimes people are a little bit nervous around jelly. It could be the quivering. It could be the wobbling. Is it going to chase you off the plate? Um, but it, it, it really is very, very straightforward. So um, many, many instant jellies that might be the most straightforward dish to make. And yet it creates a massive reaction. So you get a huge return on investment when you're serving up to guests. Not least if you're if you're making it for friends or making it for kids, you can make it well in advance. And so it means that when you come to serve it, it's already unmolded. It's in the fridge. You take it out. You give it a give it a shiver. Give it a shake, and, and people are smiling immediately. You're, so so, given that that's a prep time of all about two minutes to pour some hot water over some gelatin granules, it's it's pretty pretty good return, and it's not expensive as a product supply. Now, that's your entry level. You can go as complex as you want. We've made jellies with fifty layers, one upon the other. Each layer taking a couple hours to set. So you can imagine the time that's going into that. It's measuring a lifetime um, as you see those layers of the jelly. Um, there are also many more complex techniques. You can set lots of things in jelly. You can set uh, golds in it. You can create mosaic jellies that look like cut marble as you slice through it. It's really rather beautiful and enigmatic. You know, jelly is one of these things that although it's got this very, very deep history, it's been related to... Uh, all sorts of people, all sorts of stories, all sorts of sentiments. That that story's not finished, and we see it coming back a lot. Like Gucci have been using jelly in their above-the-line adverts. Artists are now experimenting with it as a creative medium because it just looks so good. It's so visceral. It's so alive. It's so colourful. Um, so, you know, our challenge really to any listeners is what would you do with jelly? Like, how would, where would it take your imagination? Biggie, you're, you're making a book about jelly. Who would have thought it lends itself to many, many creative practices? And, and there's, there's not a time when I ever feel that creatively I'm done with jelly. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I was reading about so many of your projects. I mean, 
there are some really ambitious ones. You mentioned the 50 layer one, but I was thinking about when you had 66,000 gallons of the jelly with the steamship kind of suspended yep. in it. So can you talk about some of your most ambitious projects? Well, that was just definitely the biggest jelly that we've ever made. So that was a, a huge multi-ton jelly that set, uh, set floated a boat, the Isambard Kingdom Brunel, the greatest engineer, greatest British engineer. And he made the first uh, ironclad steamship, which is called the SS Great Britain. It's now moored up in uh, Bristol. And you know, it's, it's a national icon. It's, it's, it's a protected treasure of Britain. And it has around the hull at about the water water level um, mm. it, 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 an insulating glass plate that has water flowing over it. And it's now a museum, it's a cultural institution. And the curators of that institution said, float our boat on a sea of jelly for uh, museums at night in a bid to get the sorts of people who don't normally go into museums to be intrigued, come into a museum and see what fun they could be. Um, so at that point, what we did is replace all that water with a lurid green sea of jelly that was lit from beneath, so it all glowed beautifully. Um, and you could come and dine on the world's biggest jelly. Um, and it was delicious. What flavor was it, just out of curiosity? Uh, so a lot, of the, a lot of the jelly that was doing the spectacle lifting, that was made of sodium alginate and water. It wasn't, it wasn't flavored um, because we didn't want to waste any food that we then made enormous jelly was flavored and i believe it was a, a lime flavored jelly referencing the limes that were served out to british navy navy goers once upon a time which is why um brits were once called limeys because navy was so important um that it became a signifier for the whole of the country um and of course they're having lime to, to stop scurvy on long, long, long voyages right and what was the reception to that did people really love eating the jelly and seeing the steamship in the jelly uh, well, I mean, I can tell the media reception. It was the it was the most watched thing on the BBC uh, at the same day the uh, Greek decon economy defaulted um, <laughs> to the EU. So you can see you can see what's important to uh, Brits. Is it is it um, you know major world events and uh, global economics, or is it big jetties? <laughs> <laughs> For better or worse, it's big jellies. I would say so. And I mean, I also read about some of the other projects you did, like projecting the holographic Christ on the cross into jelly and trying to explode jellies with IED devices. Um, yep. Can you talk about that and maybe any other horror stories about projects that might have gone wrong or turned out differently than you expected? Well, yeah, as I said, there's always space for innovation in jellies. And at the moment, we're doing a lot of work with video artwork set with inside jellies, some of which you can taste some of which responds to your food experience. So we talked about jelly faces. Imagine if that face was talking back to you as you were eating it. What would that be? Would it be, imagine it was bleeding out on the plate and it would change as your spoon went through cartilage and muscle and bone um, and flesh. Yeah, how would that make you feel? What, what, what would be your limit in terms of it? Could it always ever be uh, particularly satisfying? Of course, as soon as you go into jelly, you, you uncover all sorts of strange subcultures. So when we started, we we're very innocent, we we're very naive. One of the first calls we got was from some keen sploshers who wanted to jellies for their splosh party. I didn't, I rather naively didn't know what that was until I looked it up. Um, and, you know, imagine what happens if you draw a Venn diagram between jelly enthusiasm 
um, and messy food enthusiasm and uh, sexual fetish. Um, sploshing is is in that central overlap area, area of the, the Venn diagram. Um, you know, interestingly, just out of curiosity, we did uh, a lot of whole photo shoot with people sitting on jellies and sitting on cakes, and that became our most liked photos that we've ever posted on social media. So, um, what what does that tell you about people's interests? Of course, we talked about um, making holographic jellies and you know, miraculous images of Christ floating um, in 3D holographic form within the jellies. So. We're interested in jellies being used as a, an optical lens to distort, to inspire, um, to innovate, plus exploding jellies. So people like pyrotechnics, they like jellies, again, <laughs> it's combining very high arousal thematics to give something that, give people something that will be remarkable. Beyond this, though, you talk about jelly and, and jelly disasters. Now, one of the things that's really, really important to do when you're catering jelly a lot is to be very prompt with your washing up. So we've done many, many jellies, and sometimes when you're washing, washing up uh, thousands and thousands of moles, it can get the better of you, and you might you might stop halfway through. On a hot day, coming back to that, the, these old jelly molds encrusted with drying jelly, uh, it's mouldering away. The smell is unholy. It's horrifying. It's disgusting. It's nothing we ever want to repeat. So wash your jelly molds promptly. Always good advice. As you're creating all of these different projects, I imagine you're using some different techniques that nobody's seen before. I read about one, and I think this might be more for the molds that you create, copper electroforming. Um, what are some of the other techniques you're using to really push the envelope with jelly? Jelly's got such a deep history that so much has already been done before. Sometimes it's uncovering it, sometimes it's repurposing it. Um, electroforming is a very old technology. Um, and it's it's used uh, actually in making complex engineering parts that you don't need to make a lot of, um, but is also used by the Edwardians to make some of these very luxurious jellies as well. So at the time, it's cutting edge technology because electricity was um, cutting edge. But effectively, what it's doing is you're 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 creating a form that has an electroconductive material over it. As you put it in a charged way in a bath of uh, metal salts. Um, those salts will then gather onto it and start building layer upon layer. Um, so you can make these very, very complex, very beautiful copper molds. Of course, you don't want to just use the copper by itself. And if you're using a copper mold, check the lining, check the tinning on the inside. If there are holes in it, then you want to get retinned because otherwise there's a risk of, of, of copper poisoning, which is horrifying in its own its own special way, um, particularly if you're using some citruses and acids within the making of the, the, the jelly. That said, one of the things we first started doing was using, because we, we couldn't make the jellies molds that we couldn't afford the jelly molds we wanted, is using uh, CAD design and 3D printing to print the forms we wanted and using them to back form our, 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 the jellies that we, we desired. Um, and so it's using the same sort of techniques and technologies that my business partner, Harry, had learned my training to be an architect, but applying them to mighty jellies. That's amazing. I mean, I was thinking, is there any way I could at home create a mold of my face if I wanted to make a jelly? Is that something somebody could do at home? Well, I think you can you can buy pretty easily online kits to sort of make plaster casts of different bits of your body. Um, if you're doing it with your face, you probably want to do some practice runs on, on something that's a bit maybe less important to you in the great scale of things, um, or at least work with someone who's an experienced sculptor. If you actually go to a craft shop, there should be the staff there should be able to uh, help you find the right products. 
to be able to cast for your face. Now, once you've got that cast, the next thing is to find um, uh, somewhere to backform it to make a mold. So we tend to use food safe PET plastics. Um, now, backformers are it's a really good crafting activity in schools. Many, many schools, many workshops, many university departments, they have backformers. So they're possible to get hold of or like, even maker spaces will have them. That might be the start of your next Jedi adventure. I think so, because I, I tried with a silicone mold and I quickly realized why that was terrible. I could not get them out, which is a shame because they were yes. going to be really pretty. But yeah, that's good to know. Yes, the challenge is so silicon molds are really good if you want to make a form or like the tool um, that the mold will be made over. Um, but if you're making a jelly in it, it's almost impossible to get out because silicon is very good insulator, so you can't get the heat through it. Like ideally, when you're unmolding jellies, and you should always unmold jellies, what you need to do is have a very, very effectively heat conductive mold um, because then you're melting only the very outer layer of the jelly. It should just slip out elegantly and then quiver on the plate. You kind of touched on this, but I was reading about how you have a heritage brand called, sorry if I butcher the pronunciation, Benham and Frode. Is that how you say it? Benham and Frode, but all the people that, that created it and know about it are dead. So. We I can renegotiate. Right. We can. You could be saying it right, and I could be saying it wrong. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you were trying to do with revitalizing it? So Benham and Froud is a historic British company. Uh, they were uh, metalsmiths and coppersmiths, and um, in the nineteenth century, they were making the most complex molds available. When you have a Benham and Froud jelly mold, you'll you recognize it because it has a sort of Auburn cross emblem stamped into the copper. Now. That Auburn, Auburn cross is like this kind of the equivalent of like you, the Rolls Royce of jelly molds. It's real fancy. Um, and they got that Auburn cross because, amongst other things, they were responsible for gilding the finials of St. Paul's Cathedral. So that Auburn cross comes from the top of Britain's greatest church. So sadly, the company went defunct in the early 20th century. We've been working to bring it back, like, you know, from the best jelly makers. And then it's, it's able to put a jelly, a very, very easy to make jelly on people's pantry shelves. So um, it's got all of this sort of rich, complex flavoring that we would look for. Um, but then all of the ease of some of those other jelly products. Jelly comes full circle, it becomes luxurious, yeah. but also convenient once again. Yeah, because I think, especially here in America, that's what people care about. I mean, I also love watching the Great British Baking Show and I see them work with jelly and sometimes it looks really, really hard, but being able to have a mold that I could use at home, I mean, that would be a showstopper for anything, mm. any type of dinner party. So I was, I was really excited to see that. That's about, good to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm also curious to hear about kind of what's next on your creative horizon. I read a little bit about your imminent future of food, which I found really fascinating. Yeah. So what do you think is the future of food and where do you see Bompas and Par going next? So if you're interested in the future of food, we do annual reports on them. Uh, they're innovative, they're inspiring, they're provocative. Um, we try and make sure that we're talking about food ways that, that have never been explored before. So if it exists in the world already, it won't be in that report because then it's not the future, it's the present of food. So in that, we're interested in uh, fractal food cafes been doing lots on how to make fractal food so fractals appear all the time in nature rocks are in fractal nature 
trees many other life forms have fractal nature we find as humans very relaxing there's studies now about how if you can make space capsule interiors that are fractally because it might be more relaxing than this of stark white 2001 space odyssey so we're interested how can you make fractal cafes with a food of fractals the interiors of catholic fractals um, just so it really relaxes you into a deep sense of well-being with the world as if you're in nature but all the comfort of being indoors and having your favorite beverage in terms of that we're, we're interested in food and drink but we're interested in the you know what are the sort of universal commonalities one of our big next projects coming up is making a new museum it's a museum of shakespeare we're building it up on the same rocks the, the same rocks same bits of archaeology where Henry V and Romeo and Juliet were first performed, so, and you will be able to perform on the same stage that William Shakespeare once performed on. You will oh. also be able to eat jelly <laughs> using some very historic using some very historic recipes. It's great. It's not all about jelly though. But maybe it should be. You never know. That I think it will be the most niche museum in the world, the Shakespearean <laughs> Jelly Museum. Um, but maybe, maybe it's going to be epic. I think so. I mean, another thing that I saw in the imminent future of food was this idea of responsive dinners and the mixed reality AI technology. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I found that really fascinating. So we're sort of interested in in hyper responsivity. So how can you have food that fights back? Food that moves on the plate, you know, obviously this is learning from jelly, which is most food doesn't move or it's alarming when it does. Um, <laughs> but as we as we get into the TikTokification of daily life, uh, the more dynamism you have in food, be it color changing, be it writhing around, being a changing information that is presented through XR into you. So it's like an extension of the menu. Yeah, it just really gains a lot of impact. And of course, what that's all related to is storytelling. I think the most fundamental thing that we do as, 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 as humans is tell one another stories. And if we can enhance that through the food and drink experience, um, then it's always a joyous thing. Yeah, one other thing I wanted to ask you about was the dining as your dog. I found that so interesting. What does dining as your dog look like to you? So dining as your dog, it's not dining with your dog. There are many, many restaurants in which and eateries in which you'll be invited to bring your pets in and they might have a pet-based uh, meal alongside you. Dining as your dog is very different. What we're trying to do is capture the, the world's umwelt of your pets with dogs having far, far heightened senses to us. So really in the same way that... Uh, We've corrected and perfected vision for people for many years. I see you're wearing glasses. So you know, when people's vision isn't perfect, we're invested in improving it. How can we improve people's sense of smell and their sense of taste and enhance it? So, you know, when a, when a, 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 a dog, I love watching them run around and explore outside. It just, I find it very inspiring. They're just a sense of joy and wonderment. And what they're doing is it's like they're going for an IMAX for their nose as they're exploring the world. Um, how can we create dinner uh, situations in which you have that same odorama, the big screen sniffable experience for your nose and, and, and your palate, just really enhancing it as, as, as we might otherwise have done the other senses. How far in the future do you think some of these things might be? Do we have the technology for some of them already? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's an imminent future. So really, that's us throwing down the gauntlet often um, for ourselves that we better get on with it and, and make it. Otherwise, someone else should also do it. So it's a, it's a challenge and it's a provocation.
Yeah. I mean, I think AI especially is coming along so fast. It's almost scary. So personally, I think that one would be the first one to come along. Of course. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of the AI stuff is, is transformed. We did a dinner in New York last March in, in 2020. And, and there we had to hand program a model. So you're able to sit down with some of the greatest Britons ever. So it's for the great campaign, how Britain markets itself internationally. And you had Britons like Mary Seacole, Agatha Christie, Charles Darwin, William Shakespeare. And for that, we had to hand program all of those people's life works, which is a lot of words mm-hmm. um, to build up those models. Now you'll just be able to, to get onto ChatGPT and, and, and invoke them straight away. Totally. I mean, I'm terrified of ChatGPT in particular. So I'm thinking, how long will it be until we see a bestseller that was not written by a real person? Probably not long. It might, it might already exist. It might already exist. And it just hasn't come out yet, which is a little yeah. bit scary. Or it might have been published. And yeah. They just didn't claim credit. I and mean, we, we, last November, we wrote a cookbook that was entirely inspired by this whole studio team going to float work, sitting in the darkness in a, in a sensory deprivation tank, floating there on the hypersaline water. And as they started to hallucinate in, in that black void, having recipes come to their mind, accelerating that moment of inception and perception, and then using AIs to conjure the recipes and then design the book itself. So we then published that cookbook immediately. So it is it is out there. But there was that sort of delightful moment of human inception in the sort of darkness of void space. That's really fascinating. I mean, I try and create recipes for many episodes of this podcast as well. Maybe I should try being in a sensory deprivation tank. It would get the creative juices flowing. <laughs> those those recipes are pretty weird, let me tell you. Have you tried <laughs> any of them? It? Well, no, because they're sort of interpretive and they're inspiring. And I think that when you read a cookbook, you don't always necessarily recreate the recipes, but what you quite often do is you're inspired by them. And that inspiration will combine with your knowledge, your practices, what you've got the ingredients covered to make something that's really, really new. And I think that's 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 as important as giving weights and measures and instruction. It's it's more the inspiration, and that's that's what this does. And yes, yeah, a pretty pretty odd book. It's called The Third Eye Is a Mouth. <laughs> the third eye is a mouth. I love that. I just ordered your book about jelly, and I'm really excited to see it. I read something you said about how you can't take a bad picture of jelly. And it's so true. Every picture I look up, they're translucent, they're beautiful, they glow, they jiggle. I mean, they're just, they're fascinating just to look at as a work of art. Jellies are charismatic photo subjects. They, they, all their angles are good angles. And you could put a jelly in any scenario and it's always appropriate. I wish I could be And like it's always that. funny. It's always funny. It's like <laughs> sausages. They're always funny. For something. <laughs> That's true. I mean, the idea of a jelly is just funny in general. Like when I told people my book idea and they're like a killer jello mold that sounds like a bad B horror movie or something. <laughs> yeah. It's got which potential, is, I think. Which I think I think it it should exist. And yeah, you know, if there are filmmakers listening to this, this is this is the book that needs to be turned into the film next. Oh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, so let me ask you this. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have? Any final words you want to have about jelly or the future of food or food as art? I mean, the only thing that I'm excited about really is seeing other people's creativity with jelly. Like, you know, if you set out this weekend to a jelly project, what would it be? Where can your interests collide with jelly? We moved and put our craft, my business partner's craft of architecture. And then when that collided with jelly, it made something that was new. It made something that's delightful. Biggie, like I'm so, so excited about what happens when your craft, your writing 
starts interacting with the mystery, the harmony, the horror, the humor, all of Jelly. And that, again, creates something that's really novel that people haven't seen. So, yeah, I would love off the back of this, if someone listening to this today thought about what was important to them, their skill set, their interests, and then saw what happened when that intertwined with an innovative with Jelly to make something totally new. I want to be that. I want to find out about that. I hope so. Yeah. We'll see if we can get some people to experiment with jelly because it really is fun. I mean, I had a great time experimenting. I plan on doing it more to create some new recipes. And I mean, you've inspired me to make something totally different. I can imagine that there being a town in America that starts off with this and it just has an annual jelly horror season even if it's in June, and it starts becoming ever more and more iconic. Is there a vi- village of Wobble? There's, there's there's actually a village of Tongue, I think, in Scotland. Um, I, I really want to go to the village of Tongue. Um, maybe maybe the village of Tongue has to we'll start a, a, an annual jelly horror fest. Oh, that would be fantastic. Maybe here in Savannah. I mean, Savannah's the most haunted city in America. So maybe we'll Perfect. start Perfect. Yeah. I can bring it on. Let me know if it happens because I want to come to that. That's the sort of thing I'll go to in a flash. Thank you so much. If people want to keep up with your work, where can they find you? Well, all our social media handles are at Bumps and Par. Um, we're very proactive posting what we're doing. We work all over the world. Hopefully we can host you. Come taste the jelly. I would love to. Next time I'm in London for sure. Hopefully soon. Looking forward to seeing you in person. Thank you so much. This was fascinating. I loved it. Really, really fun and so excited about your project. It's getting your email really made my day. And I I just can't wait to, to read this story. It sounds fabulous. Huge thank you to Sam Bombas, who could not have been more lovely and fascinating. So I don't know about you, but I think his love for jelly is so infectious that I can't wait to get in the kitchen and try my hand at some jelly myself. In fact, let's just go ahead and do that, shall we? All right, so in my jelly experimentation, I used a recipe I just found on the internet, and I'll link it in the show notes, except I used frozen mixed berries that I thawed first instead of the fresh strawberries that the recipe calls for. But from there, it's pretty straightforward to combine sugar and water, the pureed berries, and the gelatin powder. And then I used a mini bunt pan for the mold, And I also used my daughter's sippy cup, sorry Camille, just so I could have several different shapes. The jelly had to sit overnight, but when I unmolded it, I was absolutely mesmerized. This jelly is this gorgeous deep purple color. It jiggles at the slightest touch and it's just plain fun. And as for the taste, yum. Oh my gosh, seriously. You guys, why did we forget all about jelly unless we're in the cafeteria or making jello shots in college? Jelly deserves a spot on our dinner tables, people. There is just so much creativity that you can squish into one quivering mass. It's astonishing. And plus, you get to eat it after. And so it's really the gift that just keeps on giving. And if you would like to see my jelly, you can check it out on all of my social media channels for this podcast. I had a lot of fun filming it. As Sam says, it is impossible to take a bad picture or video of Jelly. As for my book, It Must Be Jelly, I am currently finishing up the first draft of the manuscript, and hopefully we can get this published soon, 
but I've got another book in front of it, and publishing is notoriously slow, but the sky is the limit after that. And as Sam said, if there are any filmmakers listening to this, don't be shy to reach out. <laughs> as always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope this has inspired you to get your jiggle on too. Tune in next week for another spooky, funny, appetite-inducing episode of Horror Humor Hunger's special Hot Ghoul Summer.